This is John. Hi, I'm JP. Hi, and I'm Jim. Uh, and this is Topic Lords, which is, I'm pretty sure, the name we're actually going to call it. Alternative title might be Discourse Pals. Uh, but it is basically an excuse for me to talk to friends that I don't uh, that I rarely get to talk to. John, do you want to introduce yourself in some way or do you have something to plug? I have nothing going on that uh, anyone needs to take notice of other than I will say that I've been telling everyone that I know that it is Topic Lords and that I am one of the Topic Lords for this Everybody week. Everybody on the podcast is an official Topic Lord. <laughs> right. Yeah, word up. Uh, JP, how about you? I do not have a SoundCloud, so no, I don't think I have anything to plug. All right, uh, so let's uh, let's get started with some topics. Here for it. Okay. Ooh. All right, all right. I got to find the right tab in this spreadsheet. <laughs> get it together, Jim. God. Okay, <laughs> okay JP, <laughs> tell us about horses climbing stairs. <laughs> horses climbing stairs. So I learned at some point that... You know, everybody knows fire stations have fire poles. At least, in, I, I don't know if this is true elsewhere in the world, but in America, fire stations, there's this, this sort of classic image. For the people who don't know what a fire station is, they can imagine the one from Ghostbusters. That's true. Yeah. Which they're basically ghost firefighters, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think their building was an old fire station. Um and yeah, the firefighters are up on the second story and downstairs is the fire engine. And when they get the alarm that there's a fire that they need to go out to, they slide down the poles and they're just right there. And their boots are like right next to the fire engine uh, or the fire truck. Um, and they can just gear up and immediately go. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so that's that's a that's a that's a modern version of uh, of a. Of, of an older pattern, I guess, where it was the same thing, but there were horses, you know, there were fire wagons before the invention of the horseless motor carriage. And yeah. And so apparently, um, so yeah, my, my partner works for, uh, works for the fire department. Um, and so it might've been, it might've been them that was, that was telling me this, um, that yeah, like the reason that fire stations have fire poles is because horses which they were keeping downstairs, you know, they were keeping on the bottom floor like you would a stable or something. Uh, <clears throat> horses would walk up the stairs onto the second story <laughs> and could not get back down because just <laughs> physiologically, <clears throat> horses can can climb stairs just fine, but they cannot climb back down. And so, so they so they'd get up there and then they just have to live there forever. <laughs> well, they would have to, you know. Yeah, one can imagine a number of. Well, they would call the fire department, who would come and rescue the horses. Yeah, the fire department would stand in place and arrive at the scene, and then uh, yeah, they would have to do some sort of like. I'm imagining like a hoist mechanism or something where they like you know rig the horse up and then right. pull it or you know but but. You know, I mean, before combustion engines and and cars and all the and all the rest, like I don't know, yeah, like I there's a whole separate question and group of stories about when a when a horse did climb to the second story of your fire station, what the heck do you do then? What is the? You just need a big enough lever. Yeah, yeah. 
And so and so they they initially added spiral staircases because horses <laughs> cannot walk up spiral staircases. Uh, but human, what they found there was that they take spiral staircases take a while to, for humans, you know, humans have to like kind of carefully walk down them. You know, you can't dash down. Right. And then right. at some point, some fire station somewhere in the country, uh, I think they were like, they were in an, the, the station was actually an old barn and they were renovating, you know, they were doing some work on the building or something and they were like, Hey, just, just leave just leave a hole in the second in the floor of the second story and we'll slide down this pole. And they like had to like wax it, you know, and to get it nice and slippery so that they could slide down. But then they found that those firefighters were able to like respond very quickly to fire, you know, when the fire alarm went around town. Uh, and that started the right. tradition, but yeah, so, you know, and so it all worked out great. And now fire, now firefighters slide down poles, but <laughs> Before that, they had to. Somebody had to be looking at this difficult situation of a horse that is upstairs. <laughs> so it's so bad because yeah. how's it? What what's it gonna do? Like yeah, yeah, exactly. So that yeah. horse. So that horse is foraging for oats, right? Like right. I mean, yeah, like the, what's going through the horse's mind? What what did it think was going to happen when it started climbing those stairs? Well, like um, it, like my so I I read the article that you had linked about this, and I was thinking like it must be because horses are just like curious and right. want to be around people and think oh everyone else is going up there like they use that voice don't know that yes exactly that's how horses sound when they talk in their yeah. inner monologues yeah 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 I. I, this actually is is pretty intuitive to me because, like, wherever horses evolved, there were there's no such thing as almost no such thing as like a, a hill with only one way up and down. So like the horse is going to climb the hill, and it maybe probably can't get back the way it came, or maybe it can't, but it'll find some other way down. You just when you're in when when you're on a plane. You know, uh, or or in when you're outside, you can generally rely on there being multiple ways to get in and out of each particular zone. Yeah. Well, also, like with a with a hill, that I feel like that's less of a of a challenge than a staircase because a staircase has the the sharp edges, and so yeah, if you're you know if you if you wander up a hill, like you can wander down and possibly be okay but like with the stairs it could it could go very badly very quickly <laughs> right i'm also i've also got special information here that might not actually be relevant but my son is at the point right now where he will he will very happily crawl up some stairs but when it comes time to come back down <laughs> like we have to be there or he's just going to tumble down the stairs oh there you go yeah i mean yeah and it's 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 very similar. He just wants to know what's up there. Trying to install a pole yeah. so that he can get back down. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I, I did ask about this on, on Twitter a little while ago, and uh, I, I got two notable responses from people who, yeah, from actual horse owners and riders. Ted Ajax, uh, I, I don't know either of these people uh, super well, but uh, says, I used to ride horses on trail on trail rides. The horses would always try and break into a faster gait when moving uphill. I guess something about the physics of the ground being closer to you as you move forward or something. Maybe horses just like climbing. 
So that's one. Sure. Yeah, and that that just makes total intuitive animal animal math sense. Uh, you know, and then uh, Nick Capazzoli uh, says, "We own a couple, and let me tell you, horses are powerful idiots, and I would not be the least bit surprised <laughs> to find one of ours in a tree one day." So, so those, those are some data points. <laughs> It checks out. Uh, I'm, I'm sure powerful idiots is meant in both the sense of being extremely powerful and an idiot, and also in the intensifier sense. Yeah. Did, did, did either of you ever play Clop? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's the one that's it's Bennett sort Foddy, of like uh, Clop, right? Yeah, Bennett Foddy's one of his follow-ups to right. Clop, mm-hmm. where you play a horse. <laughs> I, I never got far enough to get any insight into this discussion, but I feel like this could be homework for <laughs> for the readers at home if you want to understand why horses climb hills or why it's easier to climb a hill as a horse. I mean, obviously you get what, – what, what's, the, what's the story in the game? You're trying to get to the virgin on the other end of the hill or something like that? Oh, because you're a unicorn. That's right. Yeah. R- right. Yeah. Just doing the unicorn thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I can't remember. Sure. It's been long enough since I played that that I can't remember. It's it's quite possible that like climbing up hills is relatively easy in that game. And when you get to a downhill, you're like, whew, whew. as a horse, <laughs> right, yeah. I am not up to this. This is. But but I that but I forget. The, the ludic reveal. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's you know it's it's accurate. It's it's verite. Oh yeah, it's very true to life. Yeah. Realistic horse yeah. simulator. So speaking of spiral staircases. The house where I grew up uh, had a spiral staircase going up to the second floor, and um, as a as a young child uh, with very little sense of my own preservation, I became very good at uh, descending that staircase very quickly by sliding down the banister. Um, oh, which, where you've got constant force pushing you outwards. Yes, yes, and it was like it was a steel uh, banister, and so like. It was fine when I'm, you know, fairly little because I'm agile enough to slide on it and maintain my balance. But as I as I became older, like the the entire frame just started to just bend a little bit more, and then like the banister <laughs> had this had like a rubberized thing that would start to like pull down a little bit. So we'd have to take off the the banister coating every once in a while and like reposition it so that it would uh, <laughs> function as it is intended I, again. So. I have to say, I did not expect this story to end with the, the stairs breaking <laughs> as opposed to you. <laughs> well, fortunately, I left that house before I I became large enough to just break everything down and follow up uh the last time i was in the the town where that was i happened to you know drive by the old house and someone had the front door open and i could see inside that the spiral staircase had been replaced (laughs) by a normal staircase so wait how does that like you can't just put a staircase well, in the space of a spiral staircase, <laughs> it, it, it was it, it was like a switchback. So they had like okay. it go, like yeah, a yeah. short up, and then it looked like it was a platform about halfway up the floor, and then it turned around and came back the other way. Yeah, so wouldn't be a large does, landing, but yeah, 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 exactly. So I just thought, oh, that's that's probably safer. <laughs> yeah, and I think it also prevents horses from getting up there. <laughs> so. Well, they just get stuck on the first it's landing. Good. Yeah, they, yeah it's not, then you have a bigger problem. You still need to rescue them. Well, yeah, the firefighters can't get down now. Oh, no. <laughs> Every 
everything's going to burn down. All right. All right, John. Yes. Talk about uh, talking about getting enough sleep and sleep tips. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and I, I will ask this to the, to the two of you. Do you feel you're getting enough sleep? Because I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's thanks to the, to this podcast right. on the on West Coast time. It is the middle of the night right now. Sorry about that. Oh, no, it's fine. I feel like for many, many years, I've just not been able to get myself into bed at a reasonable hour such that I will be asleep for a good eight hours before I have to wake up the next morning. I, I've gotten a little better about it lately because now I'm like setting alarms for myself not only in the morning, but also at night. So I'm... Oh, sure, yeah. So it's just like, okay, it's it's 9 o'clock. Like, you need to start getting ready and, and like, winding everything down. And that's, that's helped a little bit, but I'm still, like... I'll, I'll still find myself going about an hour longer into the night than I would than I would like to. These days, I tend to be able to leave work, get home around 6 o'clock. But then when Nan is getting home kind of can vary from day to day. If if she's a little bit later and then we are trying to have dinner together and then, you know, by the time she gets back and then I start cooking and then we were eating and my alarm is telling me to go to bed. It's better in that I am more conscious of when I'm going to sleep, but it is, I'm finding that I have no time to live between when I get back from work and when I have to go to bed. With all of that in mind, what are your sleep situations like these days? Jim, I imagine yours with with the child is is probably kind of wild at this point. So, April is a I, I don't know if she's a morning person by nature or if she's just had has had to become one uh, by virtue <clears throat> of having a, a a job at a national park mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. At, or it's not a national park it's a it's a local Bay Area park. And so she just gets up at six thirty anyway, which is about when Winston usually gets up. Oh so, wow! Okay. So like very often, um, some days I just don't see Winston at all. Like he he goes to daycare, and then, and then I go off and do my thing. I, I go to work in a coffee shop or whatever, and then when I come home, he's in he's in bed. Um, but then there are other days where like on on Sunday we don't have daycare and. April has work that day. On Sunday, I, I just watch him all day. So, get a get a good uh, full day dose of my son, which is nice <laughs> sometimes. So, perhaps the question I should have asked is, how do you get enough time to spend with your son? I mean, you just, you take what you can get, right. you know? Like, April was super bummed out when she had to go back to work after we, after the maternity leave was over. And this was after, like, we had managed to... We were in a, a financial situation and her job was in a situation that we were able to get her a, almost a year of maternity leave. Oh, that's great. Which is cool. an incredible luxury in this country. Right. <laughs> it was still super hard for her to go back to work and like suddenly he's spending maybe more time with that daycare than he is with us, mm. you know? Like he he's at a great daycare. Like he loves daycare. It it seems to be very good for him. Like one of the things about raising a kid in a house by yourself is that the kid never sees other children. And as we were shopping around for daycares, this was something that like at first I thought he was like, well, he's just going to miss us all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's probably true. But also like there are other people in the world to love. Um, <laughs> and uh, being around other kids was like very obviously from the start, very good for him. 
That's great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to bring up, I started taking uh, melatonin maybe 10 years ago. And it's made a big difference for me. Like I, um, I used to toss and turn for an hour before falling asleep. And now it tends to be more like 20 minutes. And melatonin is made by the body in darkness. So another way to do the same thing is to not look at screens for an hour before bed. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely heard that. Screw Makes that sense. noise. No thanks. But if you don't have the discipline <laughs> right. to do that, then you can take melatonin. Weirdly, I... um. Two nights on the first week I took melatonin, I had like uh, really vivid, incredibly boring dreams that lasted the whole night in real time. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez. That's... Welcome here's to hell. Like, it, was, it was bad. Uh, here's like eight hours of abstract shapes. <laughs> um, uh, but it hasn't happened since then, so like, be careful of that, I guess. Is that something? I feel like I've heard that the that the trick to using melatonin as a supplement is to be very consistent with it. Is that? I do not do that. Okay. <laughs> I what I'll do is I'll just like oh, this is probably too much. I'll just like bite the pill in half. Like I don't wow. even have a pill cutter. I just do it like yeah, it's probably about just like, right. Just suck on it a while, leave it on your nightstand, <laughs> finish it the next day. Right. I've definitely seen like significantly different doses in over the counter melatonin. One of them is going to be like 250 micrograms and the other one's 5 milligrams and it's that's just like that's huge. <laughs> that's a huge difference. Yeah. That's a horse dosage. Right. <laughs> right. JP, what about your your sleep situation? <clears throat> Lately, I've been turning in probably like between 11 and midnight. Some days I'm tired by like 10 or 1030. Um, but I usually get to bed, yeah, like before midnight. And uh, for, I would say for the past few weeks or month maybe, I have been waking up pretty reliably at like 5 or 6 a.m. involuntarily. I usually don't need to like actually start waking up until like 7 or even 8 a.m. I think that's just that that's just a demonstration that like sleep routines get pretty hammered into you, you know, like mm -hmm. your body just just writes that to the hard drive and then it's like right. Man, that is that that's just what you're doing. Because um, I remember being in like junior high and high school and I needed to like get up at 6 a.m. I want to say and just and <sighs> so for like, you know, six plus years of my life at least i that that's just always when i would get up i mean i think i guess there i had the advantage of being a teenager who is like finishing up the process of building an adult body so i think you know teenagers being able to like sleep and you know having this kind of voracious appetite for sleep i, I have to wonder like how much long lasting damage i did to myself with my sleep habits as a teenager <laughs> i'm looking back on it like I am clearly an extremely late night owl chronotype. Right now, I stay up till two, and I get up at like ten or eleven. Back then, I stayed up till two, and I got up at six. You know, right. it was <laughs> jeez. Yeah. Like that's not exactly. It's not as consistent as I'm making it out to be because there have been periods in my life where like I was up till six a.m. I don't know how much I can blame that on uh, my chronotype and how much is just like me being petulant and saying, no, I'm not going to sleep. I want to work on my cool project. Yeah. <laughs> because the other thing is that like I um, – this has been true since high school and my theory is that I focus better when everybody else is asleep because I know I won't be interrupted. So, I 
get my best work done after midnight. And that's just been true all my life. So th- that idea of like doing your best work when no one's around to bother you. Like I remember when I was working at the theater, um, often I'd have like a closing shift and I'd have to be there until really late at night. And then like, as my responsibilities grew, I would end up with just a laundry list of all these things that I had to get to eventually. And it got to the point where like, okay, I've wrapped up most of the stuff. All the people are out of the building. It's like one in the morning, but I've got all these things to do. So I'm just going to stay here and like put on a podcast or something and like go through my, my to-do list for a couple of hours. And I'd like end up leaving at like four in the morning just because like I had had all the stuff I needed to catch up on. And it was just, I mean, talk about like damaging your uh, sleep patterns. I mean, (laughs) Jim, like I was working at the theater the entire time that we were living together, right? That sounds right. That sounds about right, yeah. I'm sure you probably remember like me coming home at all hours of the day. And like sometimes it would be, you know, two in the morning or whatever. You'd still be up and like working on stuff and, you know. Yeah. And and then like, and then I'd have a day off and like my day off would be spent sleeping the entire day because (laughs) like... It was just, it was inconsistent how late I'd have to be there on any given day. And it was just a mess. And the fucked up thing is I kind of romanticize that. <laughs> like, like just being, having a weird schedule is like, that's just, that's what the cool kids do. Right. It's probably, probably all the, the fucked up hacker types in, uh, in Neuromancer were like that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. All right. I'm going to talk about, um, I was talking to, they were like 11 years old at the time telling me the story of... They were on YouTube and an ad started playing for, I think it was for Shrek 3 or like a movie along like a DreamWorks animated f- feature. And the ad for it was the entirety of the previous movie in the series. <laughs> uh, which <Okay. laughs> blew my mind. Yeah. Because like I, and I, I know that I, I've known for a while that ads are more interesting now because they have to appeal to my, like, I guess not even my generation anymore. Now they're appealing to 11 year olds. Um, but that's something that I never would have seen because I have an ad blocker on, right. um, but there is like a, an alternate reality. And and like the other thing that I've seen recently is people are talking about um, how Wendy's just released a tabletop RPG Um, like with a 90 page rule book. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and like, I'm of like more than two minds about this, I would say, because like on the one hand, fuck advertising. Right. On the other hand, some lucky bastard got to write that RPG (laughs) and get paid for it. Hopefully. Well, yeah. (laughs) Um, but within the dungeon. So, right. But also, like, there's a an alternate reality gym who is like, who like this 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 gym in this reality is super into really weird art <laughs> and really weird like ways that uh, for, forms can express themselves. And that ad that is just Trek Two is a great <laughs> example of that. Like, there's an alternate reality gym who's who's super into that. And like is w- might seek that sort of thing out on purpose, and like that's not like like this gym no doubt watches the Super Bowl for the commercials. Yeah, it would be really interesting to think about. You know, you go to a movie theater and there's previews beforehand, and everybody's just so familiar with that ritual of 
Okay, we're going to see some coming attractions previews first, and then the and then the feature presentation, and and trailers specifically have fallen into this intensely formulaic kind of, you know, not single genre, but like you know, I mean, everybody is very familiar with trailer cliches. It is like yeah. a huge running joke in our in culture at this point, like the 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 aesthetics and like sense of motion and drama and build up and all that kind of stuff first of all just what would that feel like if it was extended to like an hour of unbearable you know <laughs> it, it, would, it would it would be i mean it would like people would just be like vomiting in the aisles if they, if they hadn't walked out i feel like because these things are you know they're meant to just be like these little time bombs of drama and setup and 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 whatever that detonate at a very specific, you know, timetable. And so the idea of a, of a preview that initially seems like, oh, it's just another preview. It's going to be like 90 seconds and <laughs> we're going to get the title card at the end or something. But if it somehow kept going, you know, I mean, this yeah. is something that you would need like a major studio level of funding to be able to do well. But if some like terrorist of a filmmaker was able to secure that, it could be amazing because you could just stick that thing in front of a movie <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, that would be yeah. yeah. And then I, and then the actual movie comes around and either it's a normal full length movie or it's some weird like little punchline at the end of that or something. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Right, yeah. I, I think it would it would probably end up being something like too many cooks. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It would have that kind of like structural, you know Which I will put in the show notes since we're not describing it now. Mm. Yeah. Well yeah, it's essentially well, like, you know, really you know, really strong counter-programming. Right. Something that everybody knows about. One thing that that kind of reminds me of, just talking about, like, trailers and, like, subverting the the, the idea of what they're all about and everything like that. Um, I remember the, when uh, the movie Adaptation came out, it was, like, 2002, I think. Well, it was the one where, like, Charlie Kaufman wrote this script and he wrote himself into the script of yeah. this movie. And then it, so it became kind of a, a riff on the idea of adapting some work that is unadaptable and how do you do that? And, and it becomes this, you know, bizarre, strange creation that, that incorporates all these different types of, yeah. Kind of Ouroboros is yeah, in yeah. itself in, in a fairly different way from say, say synecdoche, New York. But, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but what I remember about watching the movie, so I watched it in the theater and, um, I remember that I, I sat down and I watched all these different previews that were on it. And then it did the, like the theater policy trailer. Like, you know, I think it was like the regal roller coaster thing where it's like exits are here and here and don't forget to go get snacks and whatever. Um, and usually like that's the last thing you see before the feature starts. Um, and so what happened was that policy trailer ran. And then afterwards there was another trailer but the trailer was for the movie. Um, it was a movie called Identity, and it had like John Cusack and and, another, and like some other like known actors, like actual famous actors. But the the I I wasn't getting a clear sense of what the movie was from the trailer, and because of the way that it was in there after the policy trailer, it kind of threw me off. And I was actually like sitting there laughing, like. 
oh, what a clever thing that Charlie Kaufman has done and like create this fake trailer to go in front of this, this movie that's all about like <laughs> the, you know, the, how odd movies can be and all this other stuff. But it was like, it was an actual movie that came out a couple years later or something. Right. Or a couple months later. And like, I, I, but I had no idea. And it, it because, it, so I don't know. It's just like, it's amazing how just the juxtaposition of like the placement of the trailer can have the, this completely different effect. If it had been just before the policy trailer, I would have been like, Oh, what, what is this movie? And as it was, I was like, Oh, well, those, those clever filmmakers with their, yeah, playing with the genre. So right, you. I mean, yeah, you were you. You suspended your disbelief, <laughs> and you, you know, you, you thought that you were inside of. I don't know. The magic circle is not, you know, usually applicable to that kind of thing. But yeah, you were. Mm. The suspension of disbelief still is right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's on board. I was inside of it. So yeah, yeah. I I really like that idea, and the problem with doing that sort of thing is that most people don't watch movies in theaters these days. Like (laughs) you would have to somehow, somehow you'd maybe you could like work with Netflix to fit your joke or your, 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 your pre movie thing into the UI somehow. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah. Has there been a movie yet that has, that bakes the Netflix UI into its actual, just the, the, the film print for some arch, wry, clever, weird reason. I, and then so, what is that going to look like for the alien archaeologists who find all of this crap in a hundred right, years? Right, right. Who just get the MPEG file and they're like, what's all, what are all these? They're like, it's all this yeah. UI. Uh, for, I, I would not be surprised if Bandersnatch did that. At some point, hmm. sure, yeah. Like I, that, that that movie is apparently like there's, there's like eight hours of content in there. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's why I haven't watched. Yeah, it. I'm I mean, terrified it, it, of like having to like <laughs> having to 100 percent it. Oh yeah, I, no, I don't, don't want don't, it. You definitely don't want to go in there if you're a completionist. <laughs> right. It's the kind of stuff that you know structurally. Yeah, we, we're talking about you know this in the context of movies, but like games have done this. You know, in fact, I seem I feel like I know somebody who hid a game within another game. <laughs> oh, weird. You know, some of that sort of stuff. Yeah, but I but I do think games because the structure is just a lot more free ranging because it's guided by user interaction. Right. Um, and it, you know, and it's also I, I think responsive. Like, yeah, yeah. And so you can, you know, you can take people a lot further into the magic trick. Whereas, yeah, like from what I remember of adaptation, you know, for, to feel, to really feel like this narrative was folding in on itself, it takes a lot of setup because we're in a, a, a little fictional reality where it's Nicolas Cage or whatever is walking around. And it's like, yeah, to really believe that he is, you know, writing this story or whatever, you know, like I, I, th- I think, you know, different media have different kinds of structural play that they have easy access to, and games happen to be able to do all kinds of wacky stuff, you know. Like, if a, if a video playback UI came up within a game, you'd be, it, it, it could, that could be, like, a real novelty or something, and you're like, oh, well, yeah, what's going on here? But, like, it wouldn't be like, oh, my God, these madmen, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it would just be like, oh, cool, wow, yeah, they're, they're doing something different. Right. Um, you know, whereas in a movie, you know, they're 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 sort of tools for screwing with people's heads and, you know, desuspending disbelief. Uh, you know, are are just it's a different tool set. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like you could work with 
Netflix and do something like Bandersnatch where the fact that there's a choice like comes like an hour and a half into the movie, <laughs> um, which would be interesting, but also like yeah, yeah. at that point you've got to deal with things like, well, my, my PS4 controller turned itself off. Uh, <laughs> yes. Are you still watching? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it's, it's definitely a interesting idea though. I, so there was a, a there was an ad, a trailer for one of the Wario Land games for the Wii um, that uh, that when you played it on YouTube, uh, they had hooked it up such that like when Wario was running around smashing things in the in the video, little bits of UI started falling off of the YouTube window. <laughs> Oh, That's nice! Crazy. Which was like the YouTube <laughs> UI, yeah. of its time. So I'm sure, I'm guessing that you know, because yeah, I remember seeing a screenshot kind of recently of like YouTube circa 2007, yeah, and just you know, like just the the, the styling of the widgets and stuff is like, oh man, I am back in 2007, right, right, practically <laughs> just looking at this little window in my web browser. It's it's really wild how how that stuff works cognitively. Well, and especially the, given that like it 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 evolves over time and you forget that it's even changed like you don't you don't think of that ui and think oh yeah i'm in 2019 yeah yeah no it yeah they you know with all these like web-based services you know you're obviously not downloading and installing anything and so you never notice when ui updates unless it's super obvious i.e when when twitter you know goofs around with their with their ui or something it reminds me, I watched, uh, I rewatched the social network not that long ago. Oh yeah. Um, and it was just interesting to see how that had, you know, a snapshot of what Facebook looked like at the beginning. And it's, it's just wild to see that compared to how everything looks today. And it's like, you know, a lot of the same, the, the same overall strategy is there, but just it's just completely different from how it used yeah, to be. Yeah, at this now, point, so. I actually right. just, I, I'm starting to really enjoy it when I stumble upon a web page from like 15 plus years ago. You know, it's yeah. like, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah this is, you know, it's, it's kind of like walking into an old bar or something that has like a lot of history and character <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, what's the story yep. of this place? Like, yeah, you know, who's, you know, has this bartender been working here since, you know, I want to hear about all this Battlestar Galactica fan fiction that this person wrote. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I saw fairly recently, um, you know how one of one of the staples of late 90s, early 2000s internet was like the celebrity fan page. Oh, sure. Or the TV show fan page where like this person decided like, I'm going to be the authority on <laughs> Natalie Portman. Um, yep. And I'm going to post a bunch of pictures of Natalie Portman and like... Um, and have a forum. Uh, and I saw, like, a, I don't remember who it was for, but it was for someone who, like, recently became a celebrity in that style. Um, and the amazing thing was it looked just like those web pages of old, but it also had a style sheet for mobile. Like, <laughs> right. It, yeah, yeah. GeoCities <laughs> responsive which is design. Like, that they're really straddling the world, the two worlds here. It was kind of impressive. Yeah, oh, I love it. All right, JP, uh, you have here. How much work would it take to insert a fictional person into the historical mm. record? 
Yeah. So this 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 comes the seed of this was was planted uh, by uh, a guy that I worked with years and years ago at this point at Double Fine, Brandon Dillon. Um, I think he might be at Oculus now. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, because I think he and some and a friend and some friends were talking about how much like could you get away with inserting? You know, they were looking at Wikipedia editing and Wikipedia vandalism and, you know, sort of noticing like, gee, you could change if you had an, an account that wouldn't immediately be flagged as suspicious, you could probably edit some small innocuous fact on Wikipedia and make it look like a correction or something. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so it's sort you know, and in that case it would be like a single source and you're editing it, you know, and that's, so that proceeds pretty naturally from just how wikis work and stuff like that. But, and so, yeah, like I, you know, I remember talking with him about that, you know, six or seven years ago, whatever. And, uh, and yeah, and so it came back to me recently and I was like, well, yeah, what, what would it take to like insert a, just a, simply a person who didn't exist, but you have some sort of historical evidence of them existing. And obviously you could just create a Wikipedia page for them or mention them in an existing Wikipedia page. But it sort of occurred to me that like, there's a real wide spectrum of like how convincing you would have to be and how many sources you would need to touch in order to corroborate it. You know, cause like if, if you just wanted to create an extra, if you wanted to, if you wanted to create a, an extra fictional character, that would be pretty easy because you could like go to like the GI Joe or like the GoBots Wikipedia page and, and invent a GoBot and be like, okay, actually, yeah, there was this other GoBot who was like an ice cream truck or whatever, and it would and it might be disputed or something, but you know, and and maybe the maybe the fact checking would process would would function as intended from there. But if you actually wanted to like create a person, I think also time has something to do with it because if you wanted to create a person who is still alive today, that gets oh, wow. that gets very hard to verify. Whereas if you wanted to create you have to hire an a, actor. A Kansas state senator who lived from 1821 to, you know, to 18, you know, 60 something, then like you could, you know, I mean, there's, there's also the, the, the question of like, if you're just doing this on for digital records, then you could get a lot done just at a computer. Whereas if you really, if you really, right. Otherwise, you would have to like go to old libraries and archives and like right. carefully <laughs> sneak your that's the, document into the yeah, yeah. That's the advanced game is that you like ask to see these parchments or something, and then you like quill pin another name onto the record, <laughs> and so then your Wikipedia article can be like, "Look, I have a primary source here," you know? Um, right. I don't know. Yeah, th there's definitely a huge difference between like, um between doing this in a way that'll hold up to a cursory glance and that'll hold up to serious research. Yeah. I, I, if it were something like that, like I wonder how much could be like, if you were able to get somebody involved in like academia, um, you know, or like someone who is prone to writing scholarly papers about historic events or times, um, to just like drop in a name or like even put a footnote or something. Yeah, yeah. they, would, that, yeah. they so, would be a very powerful ally in that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But just, I'm just thinking of like recursive nested footnotes of like, oh, see such and such about, you know, this Kansas state senator. And then like, 
in there, there's another oblique reference and another footnote to some other thing. And, you know, if you, if, if they go deep enough, then at some point. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, a lot of it, you can get away with a lot if people just don't care. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. <laughs> which I, I, I saw, um, a Wikipedia, uh, user who had, and I found this person because they had gone through and like, they'd found articles about Sonic Mario and putt putt and they just rotated the names for, of the protagonists. <laughs> like, <laughs> so that the articles about Mario were now about Putt-Putt. And the articles about Putt-Putt were now about Sonic. Um, and which is a, oh, that's, that's a good. fun yeah, prank. Yeah, I would good. do that <laughs> if I had the, <laughs> if I were still a troll from 2004. Right. Um, and I looked at this person's edit history and they had also like gone through the, uh, pages of like 50 different movies and changed their running times by like two minutes. <laughs> that is definitely brain terrorism of a very subtle form. Yeah, right. And like, who's going to double check that? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Having to watch at, that whole movie. It's very funny. Right. I, just, I got my stopwatch And you out. have to watch the 90 minute preview beforehand. Uh, that another right. that another brain terrorist is uh, is inflicting on you, right? Yeah. Um, and the other thing I wanted to bring up was um, this is uh, something that that came up on uh, the late uh, important if true podcast. Um, they had a, a a reader who wrote in to talk about how they had edited the um, Wikipedia page for the movie. It was like a 2008 Paris Hilton movie, House of Wax. <laughs> um to say to they and they cited like a fake issue of Cine Action, a Canadian um movie magazine, to say like this is my source for this. And it's a, a, a quote from uh Michael Bay or whoever the producer was to say that like we, we had uh, considered the alternate title and we even had posters printed up for the alternate title Wax House Baby. <laughs> Good. And this this um, got into um, like the kind of people who would have a podcast or write an article about bad movies like House of Wax, mm. like would talk about. And th th so this ended up getting le leaking out onto the rest of the Internet. This <laughs> this idea that wa House of Wax had this alternate title, Wax House Baby. Um, and so it's so good. It's, it's, it's an incredible and, and like that, that went on to be a, like a, almost a recurring segment on that podcast of other people who wrote in about similar things that they did. Um, it's very good. And I'm very sad that they are not recording it anymore. The, the other way that you could do this sort of thing is just put it on Wikipedia and then wait for everybody else to cite Wikipedia yeah, yeah, and now there are an yep. incredible number of sources out in the world. Yeah, I, I've I've heard about that specifically, and I think that's something that Wikipedia editors are now aware of. Like they, you know, I, I don't know if it's called like circular citation or something. Because yeah, oh, sure, they're yeah. like, okay, you can't cite yourself, obviously, but yeah. So yeah, I think they're you know they probably are thinking about that sort of stuff. But yeah, but I think the. Claiming that there is an, a non-existent issue of a Canadian of a real Canadian magazine is yeah that that puts it into this right. realm of like that's pretty difficult to verify because who has an archive of a print magazine 
nowadays that they can like check up on this with. Right. And yeah, I think, I think the, 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 who, who knows about, who cares about this and how much and how difficult is it for them to track it down? And that's actually, now that I'm thinking of it, like my prior example of inserting, like just conjuring up a false go bot of, you know, like people would immediately care about that. That would, that would be detected and that would be detected and, and, Smote, smote down with the wrath of Wikipedia editors way more quickly than a fictitious Kansas senator from eighteen from eighteen forty or whatever. I thought about that too, but I didn't say it because one of the things they talk about on um, on important if true in a later episode is a person who inserted a, a fictional character into Wikipedia pages about it wasn't the Wikipedia it was like a fan wiki kind of thing like a. A wiki dot a thing uh, about uh, street the sh- show. I think it was Street, street Sharks. Sharks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Th- this, this is that's probably where I'm getting this from. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> they they just invented like a female sh- Street Shark. Yeah, and like several and episodes that sh- that she was in that just didn't actually exist. But yeah, yeah, and and maybe that's just because maybe they got away with that because there aren't enough Street Sharks fans out there. <laughs> Well, and I, I think <laughs> when it's something that is like that was known about and probably does have some diehard fans, but that is kind of half forgotten now so that, you know, because to, to be a fan of something that only existed for a few years in the 80s in 2019 is kind of to be clinging to these threadbare scraps of the past that you've salvaged from eBay and old VHS <laughs> right. tapes and, and all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, I think in a lot of cases, you would be like, well, maybe I just missed these. I'm a collector. I should know about all of this. I'm a super fan. I, you know, is it possible that we've missed, you know, these unearthed, these, these never before heard Beatles recordings or whatever, you know, I mean, I think, I think the ephemerality of the past creates this fog that, you know, very compelling mysteries can grow up in for sure. Yeah. One thing that I, this is kind of reminding me of, um, have either of you read the Neil Stevenson book uh, that just came out recently called The Fall or Fall? No. Um, so it takes, I, I'll talk about it briefly, and there may be spoilers if you have not read Fall, um, but uh, it takes place in a near future time where, um, you know, there's a lot of the same things going on with the internet, but one of the concepts is there's a character about whom some rumors and speculation are going on. And this other character says, well, I've figured out a way to address this. And the way I'm going to do it is by generating um, on a massive scale, a bunch of fake information about you and like just all these completely contradictory rumors. And I'm going to use these various technologies to put all of these different theories out simultaneously. Um, and you will also announce that, Hey, all these theories are, are coming out about me and, and they're all fake. Um, and you don't know which ones are which. And in doing that, in, in spreading that much disinformation about um, one person, the idea is that if you, if you cannot trust all these rumors, then what is like the nature of, of what you can count on to be real then has to shift and you have to kind of approach your 
consumption of things you read on the internet in a completely different way. Um, so it, it just kind of that, that this discussion kind of pinged that that sense of like if you're trying to create some some false record, like um, you know, just the idea of if you were to create infinite false records all at the same time, and then like how do you discern what is actually going on? Yeah, that that seems like a that seems like a pretty plausible way to disguise yourself on the internet. I, I recently, I changed my legal name. My legal name actually is Storm Dancer now. Um, and one of the things that I hadn't really anticipated, but thought about later is that now when you search for my name, you only find things about me. <laughs> right. Oh, sure. Like, yeah. Whereas like when I said something mean about Total Biscuit, um, and total biscuits, people came after me and like posted my headshot with my home address on it. It was the oh, wrong God. address. <laughs> uh, because they couldn't actually find mine. Um, right. but I think like, I, th- I'm pretty sure like, and, and as a result, I've started being a lot more careful about like who I make angry on the internet, especially now right. that I have a kid. Sure. Boy. Yeah. Um, but but like that's that's definitely a, a downside of and an upside. Like if I want to be found, um, of having a unique last name. Yeah. Yeah, a, un- a unique Google string. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is this should be a la- our last one for tonight. So John, you can get some sleep soon. Uh, John, tell us about recurring dreams. Oh yeah. So. Um I will let me tell you about my recurring dream that I, I haven't had this in a while, but, um, and, and like, I feel like this only started happening maybe a year or two ago. And like I said, it's kind of, it's stopped for a while, but it still comes up once in a while. So I will have a dream in, in which I'm aware that if I observe some image or if I, if I see some specific site, then that signifies the end of all existence and the end of reality. So, um, so, so signifies as opposed to causes. Well, well, I, I don't know that it, well, it, it's hard to, it's hard to say, but it's, it's very much just like, I will, I will be going about my day in my dream and then I will observe something, um, and it's always something different. But once I see it, I, I immediately get this this sinking feeling like, oh no, oh no, this is a bad thing. And this means that, like, I'm not going to wake up and, that, like, I'm suddenly, like, aware that I'm in a dream, but it's going to have repercussions throughout the entire you know, the entire universe reality. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like, Oh, you shouldn't have, shouldn't have seen that. And then, um, and then like very, usually after that happens, I wake up and then I'm like, Oh, Oh, I'm okay. Everything's, it's all good. (laughs) So Um, far. (laughs) Yeah. So, but, but, but like there were, it was actually happening so frequently for a while that it was like, I don't know if I want to go to bed immediately because like, I'm going to have this kind of frustrating sense that like, Oh no, here it is again. And I'm I've, going to have uh, the dream I'm, again. I'm going to end the universe again, I guess. 
Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm really like grateful that I basically never remember my dreams because <laughs> like I I look at people like people talking about how they have recur- like people who have like sleep paralysis oh, or just yeah. or just be- like that's that sounds like a that sounds like a literal nightmare. Um, <laughs> Uh, and just like the, the idea of recurring dreams is a one that like, I just can't even imagine. I can't imagine what that would be like. Yeah. I mean, well, it's funny you mentioned that because like I, I had heard of such like such a thing, like a recurring dream. I mean like, and like, okay, I guess I did used to have other sorts of recurring dreams, like just anxiety dreams about work related things. Like I, so I used to work at a movie theater and I, I would occasionally have dreams about like having to start a movie, but then something was going wrong with the projector and like time keeps passing. And I'm just like, Oh no, I, my hands are too big to thread the projector and now everything's, everything's wrong. And Oh no, like half an hour's passed. Um, like that, that happened a few times. And like, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm familiar with the concept of the actor's nightmare too, where, you know, you're about to go on stage, you don't remember your lines. Um, but I just like, I don't know, I don't know what I have suddenly done that has caused me to recurrently dream about ending all levels of reality. <laughs> so, so I was like, sorry guys, I don't, can't tell you about my work, but it involves manipulating all of reality. I'm, I'm really interested in, in the idea of when a lot of times when people are describing a dream, they'll say, and I just, and I knew that this, that something was the case. I knew that when I saw this thing, reality would, would itself would end. Cause I think, you know, it's always felt very, because yeah, like everybody does generally experience that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of dream premises where it's like, I knew that behind that door, you know, somebody was dying or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And on the one hand, that's like dramatically, that's sort of very compelling because it's like, how, how would you know? Like, are we, yes. you know, because it's not like your, your brain, you know, most people's brains probably aren't like providing a little comic inset panel to show what is mm-hmm. actually behind the door. But then from another perspective, it might just, it's kind of your brain engaging in what, what we would call in a work of authored fiction just like lazy storytelling because it's because your brain is both the script and the actor and the audience. So you're kind of, yeah. So you're kind of telling yourself, by the way, somebody is dying behind that door. And it's just, you know, when you think about it, it's actually like super ham fisted because your brain, one part of your brain is doing this kind of, you know, in the case of an anxiety dream, it's like threat simulation or, you know, just like, Hey, what about a situation that you would have to do something with in real life? Why don't you, why don't you think about how you would deal with that? Because maybe you'll have to when you're out hunting the mastodon or, you know, whatever, our, whatever, right. our, yeah, whatever yeah. Our terrible ape brains are, are actually wired for or whatever. Um, yeah. So what it does is it, it just ends up being super didactic and being like, Oh yeah, reality will end, man. That's, I'm, just cause. and if you were, if you were, if you were engaging with it as a story, you would be like, what, where did that come from? This is who writes this crap. Yeah, this is very on rails here. Right. I feel like likely what's happening is um, like when that sort of thing happens in real life, what's happening is that you are remembering that there's someone behind the door. Yeah. Um, And so what's happening in the dream is presumably that you are, you are dreaming a memory 
And sometimes you don't have to remember, remember a specific event. Sometimes you're just remembering facts. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, I think that's another thing about the dreaming brain is that it kind of draws on everything, anything and everything improvisationally a lot of times, you know, yeah. it's constantly just pulling. There's, there's a few situations. I don't remember my dreams these days nearly as much as I did like in my teens and twenties, I would say, but you know, I, I'm very aware a lot of times of how my brain is inventing detail in sort of a just in time kind of way. Uh, it's sort of in the ways that, you know, like in video games, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll reach for a door or enter or walk down a hallway and you can tell that under the, under the hood, the game is like loading stuff. And if you're a game developer, then you have a very finely attuned sense of like, Oh yeah, they're, they're definitely loading in the next area or something. But sometimes in a dream, I'll like reach for a doorknob and turn it and it'll get kind of stuck because my brain hasn't yet like <laughs> made up figured the out crap that's yeah. behind whatever's behind that door. And then it will come free at some point, you know, or maybe I'll notice it and it'll be so immersion breaking quote unquote that it'll, you know, that I'll wake up or something. But yeah, just that idea of my, my brain is just a, is a dungeon master that is constantly just <laughs> improvising right. frequently badly or just, you know, like just telling instead of showing, uh, so yeah, I forgot to mention this thing. So just just take, yeah, just pretend that that yeah. was in this, all this, the previous campaigns. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one one thing that happened um, many times as I was growing up was that I would dream about getting a new video game and then getting to play it, and I would wake up right before playing it. Oh no! Yep. <laughs> because like, that, yeah. I don't know what that game is like. Yeah. Like, I just don't have the information to fill in right. that memory. I've, I've had a lot of, yeah, d definitely that. I've definitely had a lot of dreams where I find a secret area in a, in a game that doesn't actually exist in real life, but it exists, you know. Um, I've had dreams where I'm in a record store and I find a bunch of, like, obscure rarities from a band that I really like. And I'm like, Oh my oh, gosh, this is, I have to listen to it. I have to, you know, and I've, I, I've never for the life of me actually gotten it to, you know, a record player or a CD player or whatever, and actually heard the thing because then my brain would have to like create a lost track by, you know, this band or whatever, which is right, not going right. to have, you know, I am not a, a, a talented songwriter or anything. So I, I couldn't even wing it poorly. I think. Well, you wouldn't have to be con you wouldn't have to be like convince your waking self. You could just have some horrible nonsense, and then your brain would th think like, "Oh yes, this is exactly what I was yeah, expecting. Right, this yeah. is wonderful." Well, you know, maybe that's the reason. It's maybe that's why it's a rarity. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> they tried I'm, to bury it, but I'm fascinated by the idea. This is something I've been thinking about since you told your initial story, John. Mm. Um, the idea of in a fictional world, like people in a movie um, spending the entire movie running from the image saying the end. Mm, <laughs> sure. <Right. laughs> yeah. Well, and, or even like, I mean, another corollary going on that is like, if the, the, the characters within the movie are, aware that like their outcome is going to have an impact on the viewers yeah. like like what they do is going to cause that and, and, and it's almost like now that i'm saying that out loud it's like oh wasn't that the plot of the never ending story <laughs> oh wow yeah yeah i guess yeah so. metafiction you know anytime that right. the, the the 
the nature of the story itself becomes part of the part of the, the story. You know, the, the the crossing over of diegetic and I, yeah, I don't know if I'm if I'm using that term exactly right, but interesting stuff, but also highly terrifying. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, that's 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 one more thought I have is that like yes, on the one hand, your brain is probably just like telling you that reality will end. On the other hand, you know these when your brain tells you something like that, it's frequently so convincing. You know, if if it it comes with the right sort of emotional punch behind it, then you can then you can really feel. And I think that's why, you know, dreams as threat simulation, it's like, yeah, your brain is basically grabbing the levers that make you terrified to run away from a rabid dog or something (laughs) and just using pushing that exact same button to tell you whatever arbitrary dungeon master crap it's trying to convince you of. And we're frequently convinced. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe some people learn how to just completely boss their dreams around or like, you know, suspend or desuspend disbelief or whatever. But I mean, yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for being on guys. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any final, any final thoughts? Any final, do you like, if you want to, if you want people to be able to find you on the internet, now is a good time to talk about how, if you don't, I totally understand. <laughs> Um, my website is vectorpoem.com and I think that links to most of the other kind of public presences and things that I do and all that kind of stuff that I and I have nothing that I would like to share (laughs) and I respect that I feel like people who live like that are are probably the smart ones I've, I've been feeling more and more lately like I need to be more actively protecting my privacy. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, you didn't say your last name, so and I <laughs> I, I didn't. John Mystery. <laughs> no. Sure. <laughs> it's fine. Take care, everyone. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. If you'd like to add content to the Topic Bucket, you can email it at topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can find the games that I've made at twinbeard.com. You can find me on the Fediverse at magwai underscore poet at mastodon.social. Also, I'm on Twitter. We currently don't have a way for you to give us money, but one day we might, so keep an eye on TopicLords.com in case that changes. See you next episode.